everyone, and welcome to episode 3 of the Luna's Galaxy podcast. My name is Emmy, but you can also call me Luna, and I'll be the host of this show. The Luna's Galaxy podcast goes live on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other podcast services on Tuesday every two weeks. For this episode, we have four segments. Gaming news, what I've been playing, questions, and the topic of the show, which we will be reflecting on Zero Time Dilemma five years later. So, for gaming news this week, uh, this actually, <laughs> this news actually came out last week before the podcast came out, but it was after I had recorded it, so I didn't get to talk about it, but the Steam Deck got announced, and it's like a handheld system you can play all your Steam games on, and uh, I'm not entirely sure how it works, but I heard other people saying that you would be able to, like, use emulators on it. Uh, I'm not sure about, like, Epic Game Store, stuff like that. I'm not 100% sure how it works, but I think the idea is kind of like a handheld PC where you can play your Steam games on. And this is very appealing <laughs> to myself personally. Um, I, I think it'd be cool, like, because I'm not a PC gamer. I don't like playing games on my PC. I, I genuinely, I, I, I don't know what it is. I don't like having to, like, sit in a chair and be on a monitor or, you know, I'm, like, in my bed, like, hunched over. It's just not for me. I like playing games on a TV or using a handheld. And so this is really appealing to me. I don't have many games, like, in my Steam library, which is the main reason why I'm not getting this. But I think it's really cool. So the Steam Deck is $659. The model that I want is $659. It is the middle model. There are three different models. Uh, that's the middle one. They all have different specs. But, um... $659 Canadian. I don't remember exactly what that is in US dollars. Uh, I looked at it earlier. I think it might be like $529 or something, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Um, but that's like more expensive than a PlayStation 5 is, so I'm gonna hold off on that. <laughs> if they ever do like a hefty price drop or, you know, if the reviews are really good, I'll definitely think about it some more. But I don't, I don't need a Steam Deck that much. <laughs> I'm sure this is going to be great for the people that really want it. Uh, I think it would be a good investment if you do have a lot of games on Steam, if you are a PC gamer, and maybe you just want to play some of your games in handheld mode. Like, I do think it's really cool, um, and I'm really curious to see how this will go. But, uh, yeah, really, really expensive. <laughs> so I'm not going to be getting it very, very soon. Our next bit of news is the Olympics. So who would have thought that some of my favorite video game music would be at the Olympics? Uh, the Olympics opening ceremony, and the Olympics are still going on, so I don't know uh, if there will be like more video game stuff in the Olympics. Uh, there hasn't been yet, but the opening ceremony, uh, they played music from Kingdom Hearts, Final Fantasy, Nier, those are the ones I'm familiar with. There was also music from Dragon Quest, Sonic, uh, Soul Calibur, I think, and a few others that are really, really cool. <laughs> so that was really cool. I just, I woke up one morning and my entire Twitter TL was like screaming because there was Kingdom Hearts music at the fucking Olympics opening ceremony. And I'm like, wow, did not see that coming. And I got out of bed so quick. <laughs> Usually I lay in bed for like, I don't know, a half hour to an hour after I wake up just to like get myself mentally prepared for the day. But that day, I got out of bed so quick, I put on the TV and I watched the opening ceremony. And uh, they had the Kingdom Hearts uh, Olympus Coliseum music, which is 
fantastic. Like, that is so cool uh, to be at the Olympics and, you know, hear the Olympus Coliseum music. They had two of the songs. It, it was so cool. I was kind of crying. <laughs> I was literally, like, tearing up on my couch, but it's fine. It's just really cool to see some of your favorite games on, like, such a global, worldwide scale being presented as, like, art and not just, like, oh, video games are for kids or they're for like, lazy people, like, I don't know, I feel like there is still, even though video games are growing a lot as an industry and they are becoming more respected, I still feel like there's, not stigma, but it's, uh, it's not as valued as other forms of media, like books or movies and music. You get the gist of what I'm saying? So it's really cool to see video game music being there. <laughs> I, I thought it was really weird that they had near music, honestly, that was one that I wasn't expecting, and, like, the song, because, like, I feel like it doesn't fit as well for the Olympics as, you know, obviously the Olympus Coliseum songs, and they also had uh, the Final Fantasy uh, victory fanfare, which is fantastic, and the main theme of Final Fantasy, but I thought the near music was, like, a bit out of place, but I was like, I'm not gonna complain, because this is really fucking cool, <laughs> so that was really cool. Also, uh, a less uh, exciting news, but Activision is being sued uh, I think it's by the state of California. I don't have, like, a news article up or anything. This is just going off of what I have seen on Twitter over the past few days, uh, listening to podcasts and stuff. And it's really fucking shitty. I think most people listening to this will have heard about it already, but um, Activision is being sued for having a very toxic, misogynistic work environment. Um, they compared it to, like, frat boy culture. There's been a lot of stuff that has come out. Um, a lot of Activision, uh, Blizzard, yeah, it's, it's specifically Activision Blizzard, but, you know, the larger Activision, and, like, the thing is, is even though this is Activision Blizzard, I'm sure this is going on in so many other places, which sucks, it fucking sucks. It, it's just really shitty being a woman in gaming, or just any marginalized person in gaming, um, we face a lot of, even if it's not outward discrimination, like, you have, like, sexual harassment, or just stupid shit that doesn't happen to the white men in this space. So, like, just listen to people. I know there's been a lot on Twitter, so if you are on, like, social media, you've probably heard a lot about it. Just listen to voices that are being affected. Keep up with the news. It's a lot to handle. Uh, the lawsuit, there's a lot of really shitty stuff in there that I don't want to get into, but, uh, it's really shitty, and there, it, it feels like every day now, there's a new story coming out about some of the stuff that happened at Activision, and I feel like it just keeps getting worse. So I'm sure this is going to keep on happening, but if there's any good thing about it, I am glad that people are talking about it. I'm glad that this is out in the open because we didn't know about it before, and it's really shitty that this stuff happens, but, you know, I think it's good that we're talking about it because then maybe we can change and, uh, oh god, this is, this is what really pissed me off. I mean, it's bad enough, everything that happened, but, you know, the company is saying, like, we're gonna change, you know, the PR stuff of, like, we're gonna do better, but then they went and hired, uh, some kind of firm that specializes in, like, union busting? I don't know much about this. <laughs> I don't know much about this, so, uh, especially when it comes to, like, law, but, um, like, legal stuff. But that pisses me off, because if there's anything that I think should come out of this, it is unionizing, because that will help people so much. 
and, you know, Activision is putting on this face where they're like, hey, we're going to change, we're going to do better, blah, 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 blah. but then they're not, they're not allowing their employees to unionize, like, they're saying, no, we don't want you to do that by hiring these people, and it's just like, what the fuck? Like, that's just so gross, like, you're saying these things, but the actions that you are taking are fucking meaningless, and are actively against the people that you're like, we're gonna change, we're gonna do better, fuck off. Um, I'm not going to be buying or supporting Activision anytime in the near future until something changes. Um, I'm not judging you if you do decide that, you know, you want to keep playing whatever you're playing, but please think twice about it, because I do understand that, you know, obviously not everyone at Activision is a piece of shit, uh, you want to support those people that are doing good, but at the same time, you know, people, the companies only listen when it comes to money, so I really encourage you to, you know, I don't think anyone listening here plays World of Warcraft, but if you do, cons just consider uh, canceling your subscription or at least keeping up to date with the news and maybe letting other people know what's happening that might not know um, and keep the conversation going because this is really important and there are things more important than video games, believe it or not. Um, like, these are real people that are facing harassment and misogyny and so much, so much terrible things, and we need to do better. So, I'm not going to be, you know, the only really Activision properties that I've been keeping up with over these past few years has been, you know, the Crash games and the Spiral games, um, but I don't, I don't feel comfortable, <laughs> uh, giving them money right now, and I really... I'm not going to be in the near future. Um, like, every now and then, I think, like, maybe I'll do, like, a Crash Team Racing stream or go back to that because it does make me happy. I do like Crash Team Racing, but it, it doesn't sit well with me right now to be uh, putting more attention on those games, if that makes sense. Like I said, I don't want to judge, judge anyone that uh, is doing that because, you know, especially if you're a content creator, I get it. <laughs> like, that is your job. Um if you are getting paid to play certain games, but it's just really fucking shitty, uh, and I've, I've been retweeting a lot, so if you do follow me on Twitter, you're probably gonna see some stuff and get caught up on it, but just listen to people right now and what they're saying, especially marginalized people, about their experiences in gaming, because, like I said earlier, this is not an isolated incident, this is not, this isn't just happening at Activision, I'm sure this is happening at so many fucking companies, <laughs> And even if you're not at a company, even if you're just, like, a Twitch streamer like me, you're probably still going to face misogyny or racism or homophobia if you are a marginalized person in any gaming space. And I feel lucky that I haven't faced that much. Like, as a woman, and as a gay woman especially, uh, I haven't faced much uh, harassment and just toxicity. Uh in this space. I, I feel kind of lucky in that way, and, you know, I, like, I've never been in, like, an Xbox Live, like, Call of Duty voice channel or anything, <laughs> so I feel kind of lucky that I avoided that whole thing, because I know that that's a really toxic place for women, you know. I've heard stories where, like, girls will be playing, and they'll say something, and then the guys in the chat will be like, oh my god, it's a girl, and, like, get back in the kitchen, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm glad that the space that I'm in is not like that, and, you know, with my Twitch community, with just our community in general, whether it's on Twitter, Twitch, Discord, uh, 
anyone that's a part of our community, uh, I find it really important to be very inclusive and be a safe space in gaming. And that's one thing I love about what I do. And, you know, it can be hard sometimes, but I think it's super fucking important. And I want people to know that this is a safe space. And, yeah, it really sucks, but... I am, I want to be hopeful that something good will come out of this, that there will be uh, justice for the people that have fucking suffered through this. And fuck everyone at Activision that was part of this. <laughs> like, every single person that was a part of this, that was just doing these terrible things, you're all going to hell. But anyway. <laughs> anyway. Moving on. Uh, we just have one more bit of news. Uh... God, this is, it, it's very jarring switching topics like this, but it was important, it was important that I talk about it, uh, but we do have more to get to. So my, my last bit of news is that near Reincarnation launched, which it is the mobile game. The mobile near game has launched, and I played a bit of it, um, I still don't even think I'm past the tutorial bit, like it's a very long tutorial section, um, but I finished the first, like, series of, what are they called? The first series of, like, quests? I don't know if that's what you'd call them. I don't know. But, uh, like, I, I won't, it doesn't even want me to go to the main menu yet. Like, I'm still in that part of the tutorial, which is really weird. Uh, but it, it's cool. Like, I, it's different than every other mobile game I feel like I've played. Uh, it, it's beautiful. It looks stunning. But I don't know if it's really for me. I'm probably just going to keep playing Love Live, honestly. <laughs> um, but I did do one gotcha pull and I got 2B. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> but anyway, near, near Reincarnation launched. And I don't have much to say about that other than, you know, check it out if you're interested. But I don't know if it's really going to be for me. I'm going to keep playing it and see more of what it's about. But it's very different from other gotcha games that I've played. It's, it feels a lot more serious, you know? Like the gotcha games that I play are, like, mostly Love Live, but also, you know, every now and then. I used to play a lot of Kingdom Hearts Union Cross, uh, Final Fantasy, Dissidia Opera Omnia, uh, Bang Dream, a few other ones off and on. But uh, this one feels a lot different. <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But... That's it for news this week. Um, I was going to report on Horizon Zero Dawn being delayed, but as of now, that isn't an official thing. That was just a report from Bloomberg. Uh, Sony hasn't officially stated anything yet, so I'm going to hold off on that one. Maybe, maybe next episode we'll talk about that, but who knows? Who fucking knows? <laughs> I'd be shocked if it came out this year, but um, we're going to hold off on that for now. So, next segment is what I've been playing. So I am very glad to report that I finished World End Club. <laughs> I had to almost like force myself to finish it because I was like, I cannot record another podcast and be like, guess what? I still haven't finished World End Club, but I finished it. And this is a good, just going to be like a mini review. I'm not going to do any spoilers for this, but uh, it's a good question mark. Um, the gameplay is bad. Like, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, the gameplay, it's a platformer. It's like a platformer in a visual novel, but, you know, the actual gameplay bits of it are just platforming. And they're not good. <laughs> like, it ranges from being 
like okay slash mediocre like I'll do this like, fine to terrible like, like the mechanics are just not good they're just not good like I don't know what it is but every now and then I'll try and do something and it just feels off like it feels like this sh it feels delayed or it's just really fucking weird and it's just not good like it's a bad platformer play this game purely for the story um but like oh my god it there were moments where i was i was so annoyed i was like i fucking hate this <laughs> i fucking hate this game but like okay the first like 75 percent of the game i didn't really have any problems with like yes the platforming wasn't great uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't, like, terribly bad for the most part. There was a few things where I was like, oh, this isn't great. But it's only, like, the last 25% of the game where I was like, I'm gonna lose my fucking mind. Uh, same with, like, story. I found the story of the first 75% of the game was really good. I was really invested. And then, like, the last bit felt kind of underwhelming. Uh, it's not bad. The story is good. But it wasn't, it wasn't, like, mind-blowing or anything. Like, it, it was, it was okay. But what really made World End Club for me was the characters. The characters are so lovable. I love the Go-Getters Club so much. I love every single one of them. And, you know, I cried a few times playing this game. <laughs> Which, you know, obviously I don't hate it if I'm that invested in it. The gameplay's terrible, but I love those characters so much. I think my favorite would probably be Anaki. Anaki? How do I say that? I don't know. Um, he's really cool, but it was a really... Like, I love the characters, and I love the Go-Getters Club dynamic. Like, sometimes there's games where, like, the characters themselves are, like, very strong, but maybe their connections together aren't that great, like, their bonds and stuff. But I really like the dynamic of, like, everyone in the Go-Getters Club. They are so lovable, and they just work really well together. Um, and also, <laughs> what this is, like, one of my new favorite things in games that... I didn't realize I needed until I played World End Club. And, you know, I had an inkling about it when I finished Iosomnia Files. But, um, <laughs> like, is this going to become another Uchikoshi trope? I don't know. But, um, at the very end of World End Club, and uh, there, this is earlier in the game as well, kind of like I. Uh, but the Go-Getters Club theme song is so <laughs> happy. Like, I love it. It makes me so happy. Um, literally one of my favorite things about the game is the Go-Getters Club theme song. Uh, it is not on Spotify or Apple Music, which is fucking upsetting. I'm gonna have to download it. But, like, when I finished the game, there was a few days, like, I was at work, and in my head, I'm just like, go, 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 getters. Like, it, it's just, it's so cute. I love it. <laughs> the song makes me so happy, and I think, I think more video games should have theme songs or musical moments, like Go Getters Club theme song and Invincible Rainbow Arrow. Uh, <laughs> or, like, the Yakuza karaoke stuff. Like, it just, it's so much fun. It is so much fun. And I, I love the Go-Getters Club. Uh, they were, they carried this game on their fucking backs, let me tell you. Because the story is good, uh, but it wasn't, like, outstanding or anything. Um, and the gameplay was terrible. So, like, I'm just here for the characters. I enjoyed them. So that's my little, like, summary of how I felt about World End Club. I gave it a 7 out of 10. And I was going to give it a 6.5 out of 10 because the gameplay is that bad, but, um, I added an extra 0.5 for the Go-Getters Club theme song, because <laughs> it made me so happy, I thought it was so cute, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna give you a 7, <laughs> but anyway,
anyway, <laughs> I've also been playing more Final Fantasy XIV. I'm almost caught up to where I left off at on, like, my last character, so hopefully I'll finish A Realm Reborn kind of soon, but I don't really have anything else to add since last time. I have been doing some more stuff in the Gold Saucer. They had an event going on. I did that event. Um, dabbled in Triple Triad. Uh, I want to do more from the Gold Saucer, but I also really want to finish A Realm Reborn before I dip into it much more, so we'll see. We'll see about that. Uh, I also finished Zero Time Dilemma on stream. So we've been streaming Zero Time Dilemma. I've been replaying it uh, for, it, it turned five years old at uh, the beginning of June. No, no, the end of June, sorry. And I started streaming it and we just finished it. And we're going to talk a lot about that. <laughs> we're going to talk a lot about that later on, so I'm not going to talk much about it here. And the next game that I'm going to stream is going to be Near Replicant. I'm not sure when we are going to have that stream. Uh, probably uh, sometime in the morning next week, Wednesday or Thursday, just depending on my schedule and stuff, how busy I am, how I'm feeling. But we're going to start Near Replicant, which I am very, very excited about. And I also uh, ordered The Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. Is that what it's called? Uh, but it's the new Ace Attorney game, the collection, the duology, I guess you would call it. Looking forward to that. I still haven't finished the original Ace Attorney trilogy, but I've heard that this is a spot that I can jump into and, like, there's not much, like, it's a good beginning point for the series, uh, so I think I'll have fun with that. I'm looking forward to that, uh, but it hasn't come in yet. It's coming in Wednesday, I want to say. Yeah, so, very excited for that. Now, for the questions segment, uh, so the question for this episode was, what was a game you were really looking forward to playing that ended up disappointing you? Because I feel like a lot of us have those games. And we're talking about Zero Time Dilemma today, which is my answer to this question. <laughs> so that was why uh, I asked this question this week. <laughs> so let's see what some of you guys had to say. So uh, Trenton in the Discord said, No Man's Sky. The initial launch build of the game was so boring so quickly, and while it is better now, the current game feels like a completely different product, like the OG Final Fantasy XIV compared to A Realm Reborn, also Cyberpunk and Ballad Wonderworld. <laughs> yeah, I remember when No Man's Sky came out, there was a lot of discourse about it, because, like, the marketing leading up to it, people were really fucking excited about it. Uh, I, I never played it myself, so I don't know exactly what happened there, but I know that a lot of people were upset that it was not like misleading marketing or maybe it was I don't know like I said I didn't play it but I'm glad that it's better now and I remember at the, it was the game awards last year where uh No Man's Sky won best ongoing game or something and uh the guy that won was like taking a sip of his like beer at the time and he was like so surprised that he won <laughs> that was a good moment that was a good moment to the game awards last year <laughs> but yeah cyberpunk oh, oh that was a disaster I didn't play that either but, oh my god, I don't even want to think about it. That was such a shit show. <laughs> Same with Balan Wonderworld. I actually was interested in Balan Wonderworld because I was like, oh my god, it's like a 3D platformer. It'll remind me of, like, when I was a kid on the PlayStation 2. Just, you know, like, it had that type of vibe. But then it was worse than a PlayStation 2 game, from what I've gathered. I played the demo and it was fucking terrible. <laughs> it was so bad. So, yeah, that was kind of upsetting. <laughs> um... And then Tolly Zoo said, the very first Monster Hunter, great game, but nearly unplayable without online access, which I didn't have when I was younger. A shiny toy I could not progress in. 
Um, I never played the first Mon Monster Hunter, but that is interesting. I don't know much about it. Uh, I didn't... I don't... I'm trying to think of, like, when the first Monster Hunter would have come out. Because I think the Monster Hunter that I've heard a lot about, I don't remember what one it's called. But I don't think it was the first one. I don't think it was. But I'm not 100% sure. Sometimes I forget that, uh some series have first entries and not like just the most popular one you know what i mean uh and then travesty said uh for sure final fantasy 15 i was so excited but it was lacking in so many areas for me and just to add to that uh orpheus joshua also said final fantasy 15 uh, i partially got a ps4 for it lol <laughs> followed its development since since its versus 13 reveal days when i finally played it on launch i didn't want to admit that i didn't enjoy it had so many problems royal may have fixed some of it but launch date was bad. I agree with both of those. Uh, I played Final Fantasy XV not at launch, but it was like December, so it was like a month later I got it for Christmas. And so I think I had the same experience that people that played it at launch had. Like at that point they didn't uh, patch in and like change chapter 13, which is notorious for being fucking terrible. <laughs> but I had a lot of problems with Final Fantasy XV. Maybe we can talk about that in depth at some point. But I think at the end of the day, it just came down to the gameplay. The gameplay wasn't great. It wasn't bad. But, like, you could cheese literally everything. Uh, I got the platinum for the game, so take that how you will. <laughs> but, like, one of the bosses for the platinum... Uh, was it the Adamantoys? I don't know. It was a big-ass boss. And it wasn't hard at all. It, it just took, like, an hour. It was just terrible. It was not fun. Uh, I think that was really when I was like, oh... I don't know if this is a good game. Um, I also had problems with the story, which I knew while I was playing it, because, like, it was very predictable. Not only that, but it pissed me off a lot, some stuff. Uh, I love the characters in Final Fantasy XV. Uh, kind of like World End Club, they carried <laughs> they carried that game on their back, like, breaking their backs. But um, I really do like the cast, and I think another big problem with Final Fantasy XV is, you know, you had Kingsglaive, you had the anime. The anime was actually really good. Uh, then you had, like, these chunks in the story that were obviously just there so they could put DLC in. Uh, it was really bad. And, you know, I think you make a good point, OJ, that Royal probably fixed a lot of those problems. And that's kind of what I've gathered, too. Like, I think if I had played Final Fantasy XV for the first time, the Royal Edition, and experienced it that way, I might feel a lot differently. But I might not. I don't know. I definitely still have problems with some of the story and you know, the open world was kind of boring for the most part. There was some cool stuff in there, but it wasn't fantastic by any means. Um, but yeah, I, like, I think people playing the Royal Edition now will have a much different experience than the people that played it at launch, which is kind of unfortunate for those of us that played it at launch. Um, but yeah, definitely agree with both uh, Travesty and OJ on that. And then Adam, <laughs> my good friend Adam said, zero time dilemma far and away. It isn't a bad game, but it did not live up to hype or expectations. It forgot a lot of things that need to be answered, and the things it didn't answer weren't satisfying. Also, Akane's characterization sucks. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we're gonna get into that later, so I'm not gonna elaborate much on that, but, uh, I, I agree. <laughs> uh, he also said maybe Pokemon Sword and Shield, first big console Pokemon game. Yeah, it felt like a very safe uh, 3DS game and very ugly. Never played it, but I do think I remember when there was a lot of controversy going on around it. <laughs> uh, Gilbert said Devil May Cry 2 was this game. Due to the success of the first game, I waited for it, but when I played it, it was disappointed because it wasn't the game I expected. 
It was slow, the story was bad, characters didn't have spirit, and the difficulty wasn't challenging. Thus, why it was a bad game for me, but due to this failed, uh, DMC3 was better. Which, like, I don't know. I've never played Devil May Cry game, but I feel like I always heard about DMC2. Maybe it wasn't for the good reasons, I don't know. Um, but I feel like DMC2 was always the one that I heard about. So I always thought that was a better one. I do want to play the DMC games at some point, but like, I, I just thought this was interesting because, I don't know, I had this idea that, that was the good one. <laughs> and maybe it wasn't, but uh, I want to get into those games at some point. And I think there's like a collection on Switch? Yeah, I think there's on Switch. So maybe I'll play them at some point. But yeah, I just thought it was interesting because I didn't know that. I didn't know that that was uh, bad. Not bad, but like underwhelming, I guess. Uh, Nautilus in Discord said, uh, Resident Evil Village. Loved RE7, so I was excited when this was announced. In my opinion, it was just a copy of RE7. Some of the formulas, like story, bosses, were the same. Don't get me wrong, it's an okay game, but I was disappointed. Um, this was also really interesting to me, because I've heard a lot of people say that, RE, that uh, Resident Evil Village is, like, their game of the year, or, like, really up there. Like, they fucking loved it. And the general consensus that I heard about it was really good. Like I said, I haven't played it myself. I haven't played most of these games that we're going to be talking about. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really interesting because I've never, like, I haven't really heard anyone say that yet. Interesting. Very interesting. I will say that. I didn't know, I didn't know people felt that way. Uh, and then th these responses are on Twitter. So at GamerGirlMila said, the first was Persona 4 Dancing All Night. I expected to love it, and in terms of the music, I did. I just wasn't a fan of the gameplay, though, despite loving rhythm games. And I love Persona 4 Dancing All Night. I think, like, out of, like, the console rhythm games that I have played, I think the Persona ones are really well. I really like the gameplay for them. But I do relate to this because that was me with Melody of Memory. <laughs> like, I tried to like Melody of Memory. I really did. Um, I played the demo. I didn't, like, it just did not click with me. Um... Even though I love Kingdom Hearts, like, and I've been wanting a Kingdom Hearts rhythm game for so long, um, it just did not click with me, and then I bought the game on sale at a later date, because I knew I didn't want to pay full price for it, um, and it's still, like, I liked it a bit more than I expected, like, I got used to it, but it's still probably my least favorite rhythm game that I've played, and, you know, I was kind of talking about this on Twitter with Mila, and it's, like, gameplay is so important to rhythm games because, you know, personally, I have not played a rhythm game where there's, like, this very compelling story or narrative to it. Like, you're really just in it for the gameplay, and so if that doesn't click with you, it's like, fuck. <laughs> but the music in Persona 4 Dancing All Night is very good. Um, even if, uh, the gameplay doesn't click with you, I feel like at least with Persona, um, you can watch, like, their dancing and be like, oh, like, Nanako's adorable, and, you know, the music is good. Uh, even if the gameplay isn't great, whereas for me with Melody and Memory, uh, you know, they're not dancing. My favorite characters aren't dancing. I'm not that invested in it. And, like, a lot of the music in Melody and Memory, I, mm, I'm getting sick of. Like, there's some bangers in Kingdom Hearts, like, you know, 13th Struggle, 13th Dilemma, Other Side. Like, there's some good bangers in there. Uh, but then you also have, like, a shit ton of Disney like, world songs that just aren't that great. There's, like, eight fucking songs from Peter Pan, from the fucking Peter Pan worlds and Kingdom Hearts. I was so fucking sick of them. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> kind of added my own little flair to uh, Mila's answer there. But I, I definitely get what you're saying. And then at Jay-Z Mill said, I don't know if I'm saying that right, uh, said, so my go-to answer for this was Skyward Sword. 
I only had a few Zelda games under my belt at that time and loved, uh, loved them all and was stoked for Skyward Sword. And I wouldn't say I hate it, but after two playthroughs, I can safely say I don't enjoy it and won't play it again. Okay, I, I don't know. You, you said you played it two times, so I'm kind of curious if you played uh, the remaster on Switch. Or if both of the playthroughs were on the Wii version. But um, I, I've heard a lot of people say that Skyward Sword wasn't their thing. I'm probably, like, I don't know. I would only play it personally if I got like a, it on a good sale. But, uh, yeah. I, like, I think motion controls in general aren't really for me. Like, I'm fucking lazy. But. <laughs> Interesting. And then at the radical cavi said the newest Lara Croft not sure why I but I just didn't click with it I don't know why uh it just didn't seem like the same Tomb Raider I grew up with and as someone that hasn't played uh the original Tomb Raider games on you know PS1 um I played I haven't played all of the new uh uh Lara Croft Tomb Raider trilogy I've only played the first one uh Tomb Raider Definitive Edition I fucking loved it like I really like that game so I do think that's kind of interesting. Like, it's definitely, like, obviously there's a big gap between the PS1 and the PS4, but interesting, because I, I really liked it, and I was someone that didn't play the older games, so definitely different perspectives on that. And then at Edgark said, World's End Club. <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm not disappointed with World End Club just because I didn't have very high expectations for it. I definitely thought I'd enjoy it. But it's one of those things, it's like, you know, I'm going to support Uchikoshi because the demo, like, did sell me on the game. I thought it was really interesting. But, you know, I didn't think it was going to be the next year of Skate. <laughs> so I was like, whatever. I think the gameplay was definitely like, whoa. But, eh. I've been, I've been more disappointed by more games just because I've been more hyped for other games. You know, Final Fantasy XV and Zero Time Dilemma, I was so fucking excited for them. So... Obviously, when they didn't live up to expectations, it felt fucking, like, bad. <laughs> but World End Club, I wasn't, like, too hyped about it. So, I could live with some of the disappointment. <laughs> but anyway. So, that's uh, all the answers that we've done for this segment. Uh, I'll let you guys know before the next episode what that question will be. Let's see what it will be. Very excited. I, I really like this segment. I like uh, seeing what you guys say. It's really interesting. But our topic of the show this week is Zero Time Dilemma. Ooh. <laughs> uh, so Zero Time Dilemma, five years later. We are reflecting on it. So like I said earlier, the five-year anniversary of Zero Time Dilemma was earlier this year. Uh, just last month as of the time of recording. Oh god, it's August. Oh wait, no, it's not August now. I was like, well, fuck. Two months. No. Uh, tomorrow will be August, but... As of the time that you're listening to this, it'll be August. Damn. Kind of funny how that works, huh? So, anyway. <laughs> the five-year anniversary was for Zero Time Dilemma was not too long ago. And I replayed it to celebrate on Twitch. It was very fun. We enjoyed ourselves. However, uh, I thought it'd be cool to kind of reflect on it and my thoughts on it five years later. Because it's really interesting. Uh, I have a lot to say about this game. So, let's just get into it and hope that this doesn't take me, like, another half hour. <laughs> so, uh, Zero Time Dilemma, like I said, came five years ago. And I remember when uh, the reviews started coming out for it before it was out. I think the reviews were, like, very positive. So, like, I was getting kind of excited. Like, people were giving it, like, 9 out of 10, like, if I believe correctly. And they were saying, like, the story was so good. Like, people were amazed by it. Like, there was some good reviews for the game that really, like... I was like, fuck, like, this is gonna be the best. Um, that didn't happen. 
that did not happen. Uh, when actual, I don't want to say, like, actual fans, like, the journalists aren't fans, but, like, I don't know if the people reviewing Zero Time Dilemma at that time had played the other games, um, because I, I don't think Zero Time Dilemma is a bad game, I think it's a good game, but I think when you compare it to the masterpieces that are Nine Hours, Nine Persons, Nine Doors, and Virtue's Last Reward, it is very underwhelming. It is not on that level at all as the other two games in the trilogy, and a lot of people are disappointed, and, okay, I'm gonna go into spoilers now for Zero Escape in general, not just Zero Time Dilemma, but also 999 and VLR. If you have not played those games, if you plan on playing those games, 10 out of 10 recommend those two games. Zero Time Dilemma is like an 8 out of 10, 7 out of 10, I don't know. Um, so stop listening. This is your warning. But please do play those other two games, because they are fucking fantastic. Um, if I haven't sold you on them now, I probably never will. But... <laughs> Uh, here's your warning for Zero Escape spoilers. So we had a lot of expectations going into Zero Time Dilemma, and part of this was because after 999 and VLR, Uchikoshi, the director, scenario writer, um, he did these interviews, and they're all online still. They're on, I think they're still online. <laughs> Are the official websites for 999 and VLR still up? I don't know. But uh, there's like interviews with Uchikoshi about the game uh, after they came out. And Ushikoshi made some promises. Maybe not promises, but uh, he said some misleading things, I guess. And I didn't go back to find the exact stuff about it. But I do remember one of them was he said we would find out more about uh, Aoi in Zero Time Dilemma, which we really didn't. He gets mentioned, like, once. We don't really know what's going on with him, so, like, <laughs> um, But there was a lot of stuff like that in the VLR interview specifically. Uh, where he's talking, where he's, like, asked questions about, you know, are we gonna find out about this? And he's like, yes, you will find out about this in the third game. <laughs> and we just didn't, or, like, the answers that we did get were, uh, underwhelming. And so, you know, a lot of people going into it. So, okay, there is an entire section in Virtue's Last Reward, which is basically a cliffhanger. Um, once you finish the game, uh, once you, uh, you have to get, like, all the files, I think they're called. Um, but you have to unlock so many things, and you'll get an extra little thing on your flowchart that takes place after, uh, like, the main, like, the main game, I guess, after you get, like, the last ending. And I think it's called Another Time. And there's a lot of stuff in that that I think, actually... <laughs> After Zero Time Dilemma came out, I don't remember if it, was, if it was Axis Games. I think it was Axis Games. It wasn't Spike Chunsoft. Um, I think it was Axis Games that was like, hey, this is not canon. <laughs> uh, never said that before ZTD. But after ZTD, when people were like, hey, what happened? What the fuck happened? Um, they were like, uh, that wasn't canon? Did you not know it wasn't canon? And we were all like, uh what like because that was where a lot of the expectations for ztd came up because in that ending you see kyle i mean you don't like see him but like you are kyle and akane's telling you like you are vital to this plan and then ztd comes around <laughs> and kyle's just like not there he gets mentioned once by sigma he gets mentioned like once by sigma he's like sorry kyle i'm dead so like you're not gonna be made now like I I think that was the most mind-blowing thing was that that entire another time VLR segment 
it's just not followed up on at all. And that was what a lot of people were really looking forward to. And that's a huge issue with uh, ZTD. And I could be wrong about this. Uh, I could be misremembering the original BLR on like 3DS and Vita. But I think when they ported the Nonary games, I think they might have like changed the name of that segment to make it like less canon. I can't remember exactly. But I feel like they might have done that. And I'm not 100% sure on that. But I remember there was discourse about it. Of like, oh, they're trying to retcon it. <laughs> but I'm not 100% sure on that. And, like, there was also a thing about Clover and Alice. Like, what's going to happen to them in this timeline that we never got followed up on? Uh, yeah. But also, moving on from the expectations that we had. Um, oh, wait. I'm looking at my notes. Okay. No, I, okay. I, I was looking at my notes the wrong way. Never mind. I mean, we're not there yet. I was like, I feel like I'm jumping ahead too far. No, we're not there yet. Um, another thing was Gab. <laughs> so when Gab was revealed, everyone was like, oh my God, it's Kyle, which is like our problem. That isn't the problem of the people that made this game. <laughs> but like a lot of the theories going into ZTD led people to be disappointed, which like, it's not their problem. It is the fandoms for being like so excited and like theorizing. That was, like, the peak of my life, by the way, uh, before Zero Time Dilemma came out, but when everyone was, like, theorizing, it was so much fun. Oh, to be there again. But, uh, I remember so many people thought that this fucking dog, Gab, was going to be Kyle. Like, it was Kyle's consciousness in the dog. That didn't happen. <laughs> but there was, like, so many theories with the fucking dog. We were like, why is the dog here? Is it Kyle? Is it us? Like, is it Quark? Like, it was a mess. Uh, and then I also remember when they were revealing the characters on Twitter. When everyone saw Carlos, they were like, oh my god, is this left? <laughs> which did not happen at all. Which, you know, I that is one thing where I'm glad that that did not happen. I love Carlos as a character. I, I love him very dearly. Uh, I, you know, he's not left. That, that wasn't what we expected. But I'll take it. I, I like him just being a himbo, so I'm good with that. <laughs> but moving on, I want to talk about the characters. So, uh, out of C team, we have Junpei, Akane, and Carlos. Junpei is fantastic in this game. I also really like uh, his dynamic with Akane sometimes. Like, when they're being, like, bitter towards each other and, like, mean. I don't know what this is about me that I like that as a dynamic. But, like, when they're being mean to each other, when they're acting like a divorced couple... Um, I think they are great. I think they are hilarious. I think it is fantastic. Like, and you get this very early on in the game where, like, Akane, she's, like, trying to get to the other teams or something, and Jumbo's just like, are you gonna use the morphogenic field, Akane? <laughs> like, it, they have a good dynamic when they are being mean to each other. <laughs> um, but Jumbo is really good in this game. I know some people don't, uh, always understand or get why he's an asshole in this game, so I'm going to talk about that a bit. Um, I mean, just think about it. So at the end of 999, Junpei saves Akane. He has gone through so much trauma to save her. Uh, you know, he has seen dead bodies. He has been almost killed himself. He, I mean, he has been killed in other timelines. He has gone through so much just to save this girl. She put him through so much. She was zero. And once he saves her, he doesn't see her again. Like, Junpei does not get any closure at all at the end of 999. Uh, we know that Akane and Aoi, like, fucked off. <laughs> they just left everyone. And so, like, Junpei is like, what the fuck? 
Like, he's gone through so much to save this girl. And, like, she can't even fucking say thank you. Like, excuse me? And because of that, he's like, okay, I'm going to become a detective. I'm going to try and find her. And as he's going through that, he sees even more traumatic shit. And, you know, there's a whole section of the game where he's talking about this. And he's like, I thought, like, humans were beautiful, but they're just fucking not. Like, this world is actually fucking terrible. Like, he's become so cynical because of all the shit that he's seen and gone through. And, you know, obviously he's not going to be the same Junpei that he was in 999 because he has trauma and he's been through so much. And the main person behind all this is the, like, the one that he's in love with. And it, it's just a lot. And so, I think Junpei is really well done. I, I have seriously debated writing an entire essay about why I think Junpei is the strongest character in the entire Zero Escape series. Akane would also be up there with him, but I think ZTD ruined that. Uh, <laughs> but he is fantastic in this game. And I know a lot of people are kind of, like, off-put by, like, he's, like, emo now or he's mean. And I'm like, grow up. I think Junpei's great. <laughs> I love his character development. That's what, what what it really comes down to. When you see Junbei in 999, VLR, and ZTD, you really see him in so many stages of his life. And he's just great. He's my favorite character. He's probably my favorite character of all time, honestly. So, I love him. And then we get to Akane. Um, mm, mm, kind of what Adam said earlier, characterization isn't that good. Um, and I think my main problem is that she comes off as being too emotional because... In both 999 and BLR, she's very cold. She is like, I will do what the fuck I have to do to get shit done. And the only time that you see that side of Akane in ZT is in the VLR ending, which is why I think uh, the VLR ending is goaded. <laughs> I think it's the best ending in the game because you do see that side of Akane, and that's really what it comes down to. You see her being like, I gotta do this. I don't want to have to do this, but Junpei, I'm gonna have to like, fucking erase your memories we got, like, I gotta put this plan in action, we gotta stop Radical 6, and she's cold, and it's not that she doesn't have emotions, but she knows how to, like, not hide them, but really, like, suppress them, I guess, to get what she needs to get done, and, like, they made her, like, a yandere, <laughs> like, that was what really made me, like, what? You know, like, I get it for plot reasons, I guess, but, like, I'll never forget the first time I was playing this goddamn game, and, like, you see her with the chainsaw going after Carlos, and I'm like, I don't think Akane would lose her cool over that. Like, I- that doesn't really feel like something Akane would do. Um, I don't know, like, I get it, she loves Junpei, but I feel like she's more composed than that. Um, and she also talks about God a lot, and you know what is actually really interesting? Is that Delta- Zero says this himself. Akane's talking about God in the VLR ending. And fucking Delta is like, how odd of you to be the one talking about God. And I'm like, exactly. So, like, they're aware. They're aware that this is bad characterization. <laughs> but I'm just like, it feels weird that she talks about God of all people. Because I, I, I don't see Akane being that type of person. Because, like, she, I feel like she just knows that there's no God. Like, she's already died in so many timelines. And, you know, she's seen so many terrible things. It's like, I don't know how you can really believe in God after that. Like, I don't know. It doesn't feel like her. 
And I feel like in a way, like she has played God in a way, like she has manipulated the morphogenic field and these timelines and her own existence in 999. She has basically controlled this whole nonary game to basically like revive herself to live. And I feel like when you have that much control, it's like, bitch, you are God. You are God. What do you mean there's no God? Like you are literally God. Like, I don't know. That's how I take it. Uh, I, I do think, I do think it's a bit more of a nuanced conversation about Akane, because in general, like, I feel like she's a morally gray character, um, but ZTD, and, like, here's the other thing, is that she'll get mad at Junpei for certain things, where it's like, what the fuck? Like, when Junpei is like, okay, let's fucking kill off Q-Team, and Akane's like, Junpei! And it's like, girl! Girl, you have killed so many people! Why are you getting mad at Junpei for saying, let's press this button so that we can fucking survive, right? But Akane is like, Junpei. <laughs> She's like, what do you mean? Like, what happened to you? Why are you such an asshole? And it's like, girl, what do you mean why is he such an asshole? Look at all the shit you did. Look at what you did to him. Oh my god. So yeah, I have problems with Akane. <laughs> Uh, Carlos is good. Carlos is great. Carlos is kind of like a meme character. I love him. I casually invited Junpei to the power room, as he says. <laughs> uh, but Carlos is great. I love him. He is- I also see him as the protagonist of this game. You know, technically, uh, you see the perspectives of, like, Diana, Sean, and Carlos. But I think Carlos is definitely the main character. I think C-Team has the most fragments. I could be wrong about that. Uh, but I think they do. And also, at the very end of the game, when Delta, like, he gives Carlos the gun, which to me is like, okay, you're the protagonist. You are the main character of this game, because Delta gave you the gun. You know what I'm saying? So I love Carlos. He wasn't left. <laughs> but I think that actually kind of worked out. Uh, and then we get to Q-Team. Uh, so Mira. Mira is interesting. Um... My biggest problem with Mira is just that, uh, the plot twist with her being the Heart Ripper is very predictable. Um, maybe not as much if you weren't following Zero Time Dilemma uh, before it came out, but I remember when the first trailers they showed off. Might have been the first trailer. Um, like, they have a filter over it, so it's not always the easiest to tell. But, like, she is, like, covered in blood. Like, you can make that out. And she's saying, uh, the quote where it's, like, his first, or no, his his last were the same as my firsts or something. It's a really weird quote. And I was, and she had like this look in her eyes and I was like, this girl's a serial killer. Like I called that from the first fucking trailer that they put out for the game. I was like, eh, there's something not right with her. She's a serial killer. And I mean, that could have worked if it wasn't as predictable and if it wasn't, if it was better executed, I think that could have been cool. But it's like, mm. And the very first uh, Q-Team fragment, uh, before the vote at 1330, uh, we're getting this, like, random exposition about this heart ripper, and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god. Like, y'all can't make it any more obvious. It was, I don't know, it wasn't great in my, in my opinion. Like, she's kind of cool. I don't know. I like her boobs. But anyway, then we get to Sean, which has the bowling ball head. He, he, I didn't, he's kind of boring. He has good moments where he's, like, covering his eyes from, like, Mira and Eric or, like, it just some of his movements are kind of funny. But, like, I don't care for him. He's a robot. 
I don't care. I don't care. I, just, I, I did not care about Sean. I really, I don't even have that much to say other than that I don't care because I don't care. I'm not that invested. I don't, like, you can tell that I care about characters like Akane because I'm mad about her characterization. But when it comes to Sean, I'm just like, I literally could care less. But uh, that was another thing where going into it, some people thought that he was going to be Quark because we thought that he was cute. So we thought he was going to be Quark. Or, you know, we just didn't think he'd be a robot. I mean, he could have been a robot and then it'd still be cool, but it just wasn't, so. Anyway, we get to Eric. Eric. <laughs> Eric is a fucking mess, but he is so funny, like, unintentionally. Like, some of the funniest moments in the game are with Eric. Like, I'll never forget when I was streaming it. And, he's, and he has the gun, and he's like, who killed Mira? And you can, like, type in, like, who you think killed her. And I put Gab, and he was like, the dog killed Mira, and then he just shoots you, and it's, like, hilarious. <laughs> so, like, some really good moments with Eric. But, uh, like, he comes off as a character that could have been better. But I just think that the way that ZTD is structured, things that are not supposed to be funny end up being funny. And a lot of that has to do with Eric. Um... Like, I think that he has a good backstory, but the way that they present it is just bad. And I don't have, like, much critique on, like, how they could have done that better, like, to be completely honest. But I just, I don't know. It, it wasn't very well. So Q-Team is a fucking mess. Uh, then we get to D-Team. Uh, Fi and Sigma are both very good. Uh, D-Team, I think, is the most well-rounded out of all the teams. I don't have any problems with literally any of the characters. Um... Like, C-Team is also, C-Team is my favorite, but I think D-Team is definitely the best when it comes to just characterization. Um, Fi and Sigma, like, they're the same there in VLR. I mean, obviously Sigma, it's his 60-year-old self, so it is a bit different, but it feels like Sigma, you know? There's nothing where I'm like, oh, Sigma wouldn't do this. Like, Sigma is a shit disturber, <laughs> which is very funny. You get, like, the flashbacks of him being in DCOM, and he's like, six billion people are gonna die, just fucking randomly, and it's like, Sigma, shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's just very funny, like, old man Sigma. Uh, Diana is the new character here, but she's also, I would say she's probably the best out of the new characters. Eh, personally, I like Carlos more, but I think she is probably better? I don't know. Um, but yeah, she's a good character, and their dynamic is great. Um, I really like that they're a family, um, I think it's just, it, there's a lot of foreshadowing about it, which makes it kind of like, oh, yep, this is happening. Um, but I really like them. They are, they are just so good. Like, I, I don't have anything to really add because I just, I like them. There's, I don't have any critiques. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, Delta slash brother. Very underwhelming, very underwhelming. Uh, Zero, when he's Zero, he's really cool. I like the outfit. I think that he is a good Zero. However, once the mask comes off, <laughs> once you realize uh, who is Zero, once you see Delta, you're like, fuck. Um, he's just so annoying. Like, the other Zeros, like, in, a in, in Akane, in 999, Akane being Zero is such a moment. It is so good. You're like, holy fuck. Like, it, it's just, it's like a mind-blowing moment, especially when you realize why she was Zero. She was Zero to save herself, and there is something so cool about that. And in VLR, Zero is you, which, you know, kind of the same plot twist they're using here. But Zero is, you know, Sigma. It is older Sigma. He has created this to, like, shift, basically. And it, it's very well done. However, um, 
I, mm, Delta's just annoying. Like, he, uh, like, he, there's nothing likable about him. Like, Sigma and Akane are very likable. You've grown to like them throughout the game. Whereas with Delta, like, he's there, but you don't know he's there. And so you don't get to know him as a regular person first. And it's just like, I don't care. I, I don't like you. <laughs> like, it's just, it's bad. Like, and his mind hacking ability, like, I don't know. Call me crazy here. But to me, the morphogenetic field feels kind of grounded. Like, I know it's really out there, but it still feels kind of grounded. Um, you know, like the telepathy, like, I can say, like, that, I feel like that's good. Same with even shifting, although I do think shifting in ZTD is a lot different than it is in VLR. Um, I don't, I think VLR is better when it comes to shifting, but even then, I'm like, you know what? I can believe that. But then you get to mind hacking. It's like, bro. Like, this just, this doesn't feel grounded at all anymore. Same with, uh, the, the fucking transporter. I think that was the moment where I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Because, you know, zero escape, like I said. It is very out there, but to me, it feels kind of grounded uh, when it comes to just how things are, you know? Like, in 999, where they're giving you explanations about stuff, is things that very well could have happened. Um, you know, like, the experiments, like, some of them have actually happened. Um, they're very interesting, and they feel real. Um, but, like, the alien transporter pod what the fuck? Like, they could have literally just said that a group of scientists created this transporter pod, and I would not have had a problem with it. But they're like, bro, this came from aliens. And I'm like, bro, what do you mean it came from aliens? So now there are aliens in the Zero Escape universe? Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> I think we should just leave this behind. Because, ooh. But yeah, the mind hacking also does not feel very grounded. Um... Also, the presentation. The graphics are messy as hell. You know, I can live with it. I'm not here for the present. Like, I'm not here for the graphics. But, uh, like, there are some moments where Eric will do this thing. And he has, like, his hands by his armpit. And his fingers are literally, like, morphing through his sweater. And I'm like, how? How did this happen? <laughs> how did they allow this to happen? There's just, like, little things like that. I don't know. I didn't actually noticed this on the PS4 version, but I remember when I was playing, uh, the Vita and the PC version when this game first came out, there would be moments where, like, Mira's hair would get all fucked up, same with Akane. It would, like, just, it'd get fucked up. But I didn't actually notice it, uh, this time around, so I don't know if they fixed that. Um, the music is good. More Zero Skate music. I will take it. Really like it. Um, so let's talk about the Uchikoshi plot twist. So, and I could probably do a whole episode about this, but we're specifically going to talk about ZTD today. So the Uchikoshi plot twist is in all of his games is that there's always something we do not know about the protagonist or, like, the player's point of view. Uh, and ZTD does this the worst. In my in my opinion, out of all the Uchi games I've played, I think that ZTD does this plot twist the worst. And it's just, like... I think the reason is that there's a lot of suspense and disbelief that I don't need to have in the other games. Uh, I don't want to go too into- I'll, I'll talk about the Zero Escape spoilers, because, I mean, we've already done that. So, like, in 999, uh, it's not specifically the protagonist, but it's the point of view. So, you know, the bottom screen is Kane, uh, that's your plot twist. Um, with VLR, uh, the protagonist is Zero. But it's, like, older him, and, you know, we were actually in this old man body the whole time. So, 
there is that. <laughs> um, and I feel like they are both executed very well. But with Zero Time Dilemma, it feels like there's a lot of suspense of disbelief. And what I mean by that is, you know, one of the biggest plot twists is that, you know, who we think is Q, Bowling Ballhead, is actually named Sean. But, like, none of the characters call him Q or Sean. And you don't notice this when you're playing because you're just like, oh, he's Q. Um, but then when you find out that he's named, he's a robot named after this kid named Sean, then, like, in the true ending, in, like, the last few fragments, uh, er like, Eric and Mira start calling him Sean. It's like, so y'all are gonna start doing that now? The plot twist is revealed? Like, it's just weird. And, you know, the other thing is how, you know, Delta's here this entire time. Delta's on Q-Team the entire time, but we just don't know because of camera angles. <laughs> like, it, it just does not work as well as 999 and VLR does in terms of, again, feeling grounded and feeling like, oh, this is something that, you know, I could fall for. Like, you fooled me. You fooled me, Uchi, because of the plot twist, which, I mean, he did, but it doesn't feel as well executed, I guess. And I just don't believe that no one acknowledged Delta. Like, even though they think that he's deaf and blind, I fail to believe that people just failed to acknowledge him that entire time. And same with, they just didn't call Sean, Sean, until fucking, it was revealed that was his name to us. Like, goddamn mess. Um, also, here's the other thing, is that, and I'm not entirely sure about this, because it's been a while, uh, but there was, not a book, but like a little, kind of short story, I guess you could say, that released alongside ZTD. I think it was a Steam pre-order bonus or something, and it basically talks about what happened at DCOM before the decision game. And, like, uh, like, it feels weird that they left this out. And I think the reason that they left this out of the game was because it would give you more hints toward the later plot twist having to do with Delta. So, in DCOM, it is acknowledged that there is an old man there that is both deaf and blind. And they do actually acknowledge this in the game a few times. Like, I should give them some credit. Um, where, I don't, there's like a one-liner where Sigma's like, that old man who's, like, definitely, like, I don't know. They do mention him a few times, but it's, like, I just went over my head when I first played it. I was like, I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. I just, it, it, it was out of my head. But, um, in this short story, like, Delta is acknowledged, and you also learn that Sean wasn't at DCOM, which isn't really abundantly clear to us at the beginning. Um, like, you see that, uh, like, Diana and Akane, I don't know, the people that, the people at the very beginning of the game are like, who the fuck is this fucking bowling ball kid? Like, why is he here? Um, and at first, to me, that was just like, oh, like, this kid has a bowling ball on his head. <laughs> of course they're shocked. But no, they're shocked because he was not at the decom facility. Um, which you, like, it just feels weird that they hide a lot of the stuff about what happened at decom. Like, they do tell you some of it, but I don't know. I, I feel like there should have been... Even just, like, a five-minute, ten-minute cutscene before the beginning of the decision game, being like, hey, here's what happened at DCOM, here's your, like, here's what happened, but obviously then you would have to see Delta and it would all be ruined, but once again, suspense of disbelief is just really, I don't know, the way that they hide things from you in this game does not feel as good as how they hide things from you in other Uchi games. Uh, also, the VLR ending is the best, I think I already said this. But that was my favorite in the entire game. Just want to put that out there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I know I've rambled a lot about this game, but I still love it. 
Uh, I love it for the shit show that it is. I was very disappointed with it when it first came out. You know, like I said, it's definitely not the same as the other Zero Escape games, but I do really appreciate it. Um, I'm really happy that this game got made. Um, as someone that invested a lot of my time into Zero Escape 3 Project, you know, I finished VLR when I was like 14 or 13. I don't know. I was young. I think like 14. Um, I finished VLR and I read like the Uchi interviews at the time. And I was like, oh my god, like Zero Escape 3 was cancelled because there just wasn't enough people that were interested in it, basically. And I started Zero Escape 3 Project as like a 14, 15 year old. <laughs> uh, and a few months later, the whole form of anything happened. And a few months later, Zero Time Zone got announced. And I was brought on to be an admin on Operation Bluebird. Uh, because of what I did for Zero Escape 3 Project, and it's just, it's very f fulfilling that we got this game. You know, the lead-up to ZTD covering all the news, and, you know, Operation Bluebird got to actually interview Uchikoshi, which was really cool. I didn't personally get to do it, <laughs> but I did help pick some of the questions. Um, so, you know, this is very important to me. Um, Zero Escape in general is very important to me, but Zero Time Dilemma is also very important to me, and I understand why people don't like it, why they're disappointed with it. Um, and like I said, I, I was also disappointed with it. <laughs> but at the end of the day, this game still means so much to me. It is like a comfort game for me, which might seem kind of weird considering all the bad shit that happens. But um, this game is really, really important to me. Um, it just, like, just the fact that it was made, and like when I was streaming it... Um, at the very end, in the credits, they have this thing. They're like, thank you so much to everyone that, like, believed in us uh, from the bottom of our hearts. Like, it was one of those type of credit messages. And just hit different, you know? Because you see that in games sometimes, like, and thank you. Um, but it just hit different, playing Zero Time Dilemma and knowing, you know, all the work that went into this game and all the fans that supported this game and, you know, all of the coverage that we had been doing for, you know, the past year of this game since it got announced. It was, it was very special. Um, and so, you know, Zero Escape is more than just, I guess, a video game series for me. It is, I met so many people because of Zero Escape. Like, I'm still meeting people uh, from Zero Escape, which is so fucking cool. And uh, I'm, I'm very grateful for this game, even though it didn't live up to expectations. <laughs> um, I'm really happy that it got made at the end of the day. And I think that that is very valuable, you know? I don't think every game has to be perfect. I don't think every game in a series has to be on the same level. Um, I'd be open to a Zero Escape 4. <laughs> Will it ever happen? I don't know. I'm hoping that uh, the new I, Sonya, and Files game might have, some, might have some Zero Escape stuff in there, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, maybe someday, but I'm not, I'm not really hopeful. But uh, yeah, those are my thoughts on Zero Time Dilemma five years later. Uh, my feelings really actually haven't changed that much when it comes to like the problems that I have with it and what I like about it, but I do think I have a greater appreciation for it now. Uh, you know, knowing going into it, my expectations are like, I'm not gonna have my mind blown. Like, I can just enjoy the game for what it is and not what it could have been. Um, so yeah, I'm very grateful for this game. And, uh, I think that concludes my little uh, reflection <laughs> on Zero Time Dilemma. So I hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> I know it was a lot of rambling, but I'm, I'm sure if you're a big Zero Escape fan like me, then, you know, you don't really hear people talk about Zero Escape that much because it is kind of niche. 
So I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Luna's Galaxy podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps me out. I really, really appreciate it. I'll be back on Tuesday, August 16th for the next episode where we'll be discussing who knows what. I don't know yet. We'll see. <laughs> if you want to be a part of the Luna's Galaxy community, you can join our Discord server. Uh, the link is in the description. And you can also keep up with me on Twitter, Instagram, or Twitch, where I am at Emmy Luna Games. Hope you all have a wonderful day, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye!